in one of my all-time favorite Saturday Night Live sketches. Chris Farley plays this character who uh, is in a hidden camera commercial for decaf coffee. So he's he's in the restaurant with his wife. The waiter comes up to him and and Chris Farley just takes a drink of coffee and, and the waiter says, sir, do you realize uh, that what you're drinking is, is not actually caffeinated coffee, but uh, Colombian uh, decaffeinated coffee crystals? And Chris Farley kind of like looks at him. He's like, what? And he, the waiter's like, I said that you're actually drinking not caffeinated coffee, but decaf coffee crystals. And Chris Farley slowly starts to look around and this like anger comes across his face and this rage and he puts the coffee down and he looks around and he stands up and then he starts to flip tables and he's screaming and he starts throwing food and he's trying to get after the waiter and just completely loses his mind and completely freaks out uh, over being tricked into drinking decaf coffee. This same scene is starting to kind of play out for a lot of us these days. We're feeling really stressed. Uh, I think there's a lot of anger going on right now. There's depression. There's anxiety. There's protests at schools and hospitals. Uh, there's this pit of despair on social media. I did this thing uh, last week as I was writing the sermon uh, where I, I went on Facebook. I don't go out on very often, but... I went on to see how many posts on the feed it took before I got to someone who was angry about something. And so I got through five. Uh, the fifth one, someone had, I won't say what it was, but, um, you know, feeling angry and uh, this whole write-up. Uh, what do we do with all of this? What do we do with this, uh, these emotions that we're feeling right now, this stress and, the, and this anger and, and, the, and the frustration? I think we need to know two things for today for our passage that we're going through here as we continue through the gospel project. Uh, so one of them is sin is crouching. Uh, we'll go through that soon. But sin is crouching and his desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it. And the second thing, the way to do that is to press into Jesus and allow him to tend to your soul. So today we are covering Genesis 4, 1 to 8. That'll be the main passage. If, if you have your Bibles there at home, uh, you, can, you can camp out there. Uh, we're also looking at uh, 4, 17 to 24 and 5, 3 to 5. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on those, uh, those other ones. Uh, a, a lot of it is a genealogy. It's important. Uh, but we're going to be focusing mostly on chapter 4, 1 to 8 uh, today. Uh, so before we pray, or before we, uh, we look at the passage, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for today. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, many of us, including myself, are just struggling with frustration. Uh, Lord, we, we need to know how to, um, yeah, how to, how to deal with that. And, and most importantly, how really we need to be pressing into you and resting in, in your love and your grace for us, that we may extend that to others. So, Lord, as we, as we look at this passage today from Genesis, uh, I just pray that uh, you're speaking through me, that, uh, that our hearts be open, including my own, uh, to what you have to say for our church today. In Christ's name, amen. So let's read from uh, Genesis chapter 4, 1 to 8. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, 
I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So pretty uplifting stuff for us today so far. Uh, if you've been following along in our series, uh, I, I think we're already four or five in uh, into uh, the Gospel Project. Uh, Pastor Doug has been working through Genesis, obviously, and, and here we are. But uh, just last week, and again, I invite you, if, if you haven't been following or you've missed some, then I hope you have time uh, to listen to it, uh, to, to throw it up on YouTube. They're all on there, uh, and, and I invite you to, 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 to do that, follow up uh, and, and catch up to the sermons. But uh, if you've been following them last week, you'll know that uh, the story has already taken a very dramatic turn. Uh, sin has already entered into the story, and it's starting to really get messy. Uh, you know, what is clear from Genesis 3 all the way to October 3rd is understanding that there are two ways for us to live. We've got kind of two choices, uh, our way or God's way. And it's repeated throughout the entire narrative of the scriptures. Uh, living out the way of the kingdom and serving God results in life uh, that is full, that is abundant. But living out your own way, your own kingdom, results in heartache and strife and murder. And that same narrative has continued through history right up to today. And we can obviously see that right now. So the key for us today is to figure out how we can live within the kingdom life and not focus on ourselves and not build our own kingdom up. You know, growing up, I've heard, I've heard uh, this kind of language around who my enemies are. I've, I've heard this language, and I don't mean, uh, I don't mean within my household, uh, but just growing up, whether that was from actually, unfortunately, sometimes at the church uh, or from school or elsewhere, uh, I've heard kind of this language of, of, here are your enemies, you know, whether it was the evolutionists, uh, or the liberals, or Calvinists, or old earth creation uh, believers, or the charismatics, they're the enemies, or environmentalists, uh, you know, the Toronto Maple Leaf fans. Actually, <laughs> one time, I won't say where I was, but uh, at a church event when I was maybe even in elementary school, I had a Toronto Raptors hat, and just the mocking that I received for having a hat because that's the enemy. Uh, and at the time, there was the Vancouver uh, Grizzlies. So that might have been part of it. But there was still just that, that culture and kind of that atmosphere and that language of, I can't believe you're even wearing that hat around here. I was, you know, I was really taken aback. I didn't wear that hat again. Uh, now I feel like I could. It seems to be more acceptable to be a Raptors fan. But anyway, you get the idea. Uh, I, I was I was told and and I heard from from people that I'm supposed to oppose 
a lot of these people. And my fear is, especially just from my own upbringing, and again, not, not from my parents, but from other sources, my fear is that I think maybe we enjoy Genesis 4 more than we do Genesis 1. Strike down the enemy. Beat people with the truth until they beg for mercy. Scoff at the unbeliever. Strike them with words behind their back when they're not looking or listening. And murder them with your thoughts and your words. Cain and Abel show us what happens when we step outside the created order that God set out for us to walk in. When we are not about the work and rest of God, we get caught up in dangerous things. It's subtle, just like God told Cain, sin is crouching at the door. We believe that the enemy is all around us. That they're, like I said, those list of things, or that there's viruses, or there's doctors, or the government, or other religions. But the reality is, we should be far more concerned with what's going on right in our own heart and our mind. You are the problem. I am the problem. Forget all the conflict all around us. Look inward. What would have happened if Cain fell before God, admitted the murder in his heart and repented? I mean, even better, if when God had spoke with Cain before the act, if he had taken time to repent it. You know, God checks in with Cain. He warns him. God could see that what was going on in his heart was reflective of what he saw on the outside. He can see the anger, the depression that Cain was showing. Unfortunately, this didn't spur Cain to ask the right questions about himself. There was no self-reflection going on, no acknowledgement that perhaps the problem was within himself, not with his brother. Cain and Abel were the first two humans who had a concept of time and struggle right from birth. They never knew a world without sin. They grew up learning that they had to work the ground, that they had to labor, that they had to sacrifice now for a, a better future. They would have grown up hearing stories about what it was like before sin. They most certainly would have been told about the curses that were now given to them. And most importantly, they would have grown up knowing these words about the snake uh, in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this would be the first indication of Christ's future work on the cross. Abel seemed to have a better understanding of this. He lived out his life reflecting the future hope to come. Cain was realizing that his half-hearted work and sacrifice for God wasn't getting him where he wanted to go, which resulted in him becoming angry and apparently homicidal. Cain did not offer in faith. Faith is a response to God's grace. Abel knew that one day someone would come and kill sin and death. So he makes his offering as a response. Cain brings an offering in place of a sacrifice. I'll save myself, thank you very much. I'll earn your favor. You see, the crux here, again, is the line, sin is crouching at the door. This line is terrifying. The text seems to imply that there is an action required to let 
the sin into the house. It's, it's hard to accidentally sin. We welcome sin into our lives consciously. Instead of being co-creators with God, as laid out for us in Genesis 1, we become co-destroyers with sin. We can choose which of the two we open the door to. Sin is trying to crouch into your life and hide itself. The proof is how no one really wants to talk about it. Nobody likes to talk about sin. Sin is, sin is crouching. Let's not talk about it. Uh, could you imagine a robber or a murderer outside of your house trying to actually get into your home and a friend outside of the house notices and calls you and says, hey, you've got to do something. There's someone outside of your house. And you just say, you know what? I don't really want to talk about this right now. It's not that important to me. I don't want to bother. You know, that would be insane. People hate talking about sin. Some would even say, uh, we shouldn't. It's an outdated concept or even archaic. The best move by the devil is to convince people he doesn't even exist. If you don't see the enemy, you'll never be prepared for it. Sin is crouching because everyone watching this sermon right now is thinking of someone else from the church that they know, hoping that they're also listening to this sermon. Oh, so-and-so better be listening right now. He really needs to hear this or she really needs to hear this sermon. That's proof that sin is crouching in our lives. So my friends, self-examination is the key. You must know the sin in your life. Examine your life. If you don't know about it, you'll never be able to deal with it. We are holistic beings. Everything we do impacts other areas of our lives. Our emotions can be tied up into how we take care of our bodies and how we eat and sleep, uh, to what we do to stay mentally healthy, and on and on. It all connects. But here's what I want us to hear today. We must adhere, above all else, all else to the inner life. And that is extremely hard work. Abel was doing that, and Cain was not. He reacted to everything around him, even after being called out by God, we don't even see Cain give any indication of remorse. Cain was an angry man and it got worse for him and it seemed to get worse for his offspring and his, his family after him. It says Lamech said to his wives, this is later in the passage, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me. He's kind of boasting here. I've killed a man for wounding me. A young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. The, the tone here is boasting and bragging. He wants that. He, he says, bring on, uh, you know, the curse or the, the revenge. Cain wasn't tending to his heart and soul. He wasn't caring for the inner life. If you want to make a difference in this world today, and you want to have a kingdom impact in Grand Forks, you must start with that inner life, and it isn't easy work. I get up every morning at 4.45, and I work out really, really hard for an hour. And that is easy compared to the time and tension that is, that is needed for my soul. It's easy in comparison. Here's what Pete Scazzaro says about this. He says, I think for me, my encouragement to leaders is tending to your inner life. 
that is a matter of life and death. I don't care what you're building as leaders. It's going to flow out of who you, who we are. Your inner life is the culture. So it doesn't matter what books you recommend they read. It's what you're living is what's going to become the culture of those around you. So that means not spending time managing just external things like institutions and plans and strategies. That's easy. But leading your inner life, that's dealing with monsters. That's difficult. But that is your real work. And we know this is true because we've all experienced it. The times that we take in silence and solitude to be in the word, to be in prayer, it can bring such amazing refreshing and clarity and peace. But we often don't take the time that's needed for it. And sin certainly can hinder this good work. The inner battle of your mind and heart, as John Mark Comer puts it, for a very long time, humans of the more self-aware variety from across ethnic, religious, and generational lines have been conscious of a hierarchy of desires in our minds and bodies. Not all desires are created equal, or at least not all are equally beneficial. Some of our desires are higher and nobler and lead to life and freedom and peace, Others are lower or more animalistic and lead to death, slavery, and fear. So if you're a follower of Christ, you must ask the question, how will I bring the kingdom of God to the community around me? For example, when I see people protesting, and this goes back to this John Mark Comer uh, quote, and I've talked about this many times before, when I see people protesting, I kind of want to protest the protesters. It's uh, it's one of those things that irks inside of me that I know isn't healthy. Uh, you know, I, I want to just go across the street from where they are and kind of protest them. Um, it's it's kind of like Mitch Hedberg, uh, the comedian. He said, I'm against picketing, but I don't know how to show it. <laughs> what I should do instead is perhaps go and have a conversation and hear from people and hear their hearts and why they're passionate about these things. It means responding differently, speaking differently, killing the hateful talk about yourself and others that, that goes on in your head, uh, not burning with jealousy and envy of others. It means allowing people in who you trust to tell you sin is crouching. I can see it outside your house. The fact that sin desires to have you should be scary. It should cause us to take it seriously. In Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So I just found it interesting. Jesus here stands at the door and knocks. And sin crouches like a predator ready to attack. Which one are we going to allow into our lives? And ultimately, when we enter into relationship with Christ, uh, we have let him in. But it doesn't just end there. We know that because we continue to to sin. We continue to struggle. It's not just picking one or the other and then you're good to go forever. You know, we, we continue to have these struggles. Like I was saying, you see, you see the protesters and you kind of want to maybe swerve a little bit, you know, Oh, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> uh, or, or you're talking with some friends uh, and, and the conversation starts to go into a territory where you're like, uh, now we're kind of gossiping or we're talking down about somebody who isn't in the room with us. Do you say something or do you just go along with it? Or perhaps we start to choose harmful things to help us cope in these stressful times and we justify it. 
but sin is crouching. When we go about our lives living out Genesis 1, we can be assured that the work of our hands is honoring to God. We are following Abel's example. When we go about our lives putting in just enough work, begrudging the fact that we have to work at all, treating others poorly, viewing everyone and everything as the enemy, we shouldn't be surprised when God says, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And now, of course, I'm not saying that if you do good things, then good things will happen to you. And if you do bad things, bad things will happen. That's not how life works. What I am saying is true life and abundant life can be found in co-creating with God, bringing him glory in everything you do, which also includes how you act in the good and in the bad. The good times and the bad times. You see, the temptation for Cain when things weren't going his way was to complain and get angry and take the anger to its purest form, which was murder. And Abel's temptation, when things were going well, was to look down on Cain and get puffed up with pride. Sin was crouching for Abel too, but he walked in a matter of bringing glory to God. The same problem is before us today. As you seek to go out about your day-to-day life and you find yourself content in any circumstance, and you find fulfillment in your work, uh, and, and even if only for the fact that you have the work and that it's paying the bills and putting food on the table, you are thankful for that work, even if it's not that enjoyable. You find fulfillment and sustenance in your reading and the study of God's word, even though it can be hard to do each day. Overall, you have a sense that things are working out in life and, and, and you're going about your, your days in that manner. You have to be careful. You may end up looking at the train wreck of a life Perhaps your brothers or sisters are living in and think, what on earth is their problem? Why can't they figure this out? Why do they suck at life? Or perhaps you're going about your day-to-day life and absolutely nothing's working out for you. You're trying your best, but there's always a problem. Perhaps the problem is the government or it's the church or it's even God. Be careful. You may end up looking at the life of your brother or sister and think, how on earth are they floating through life on a cloud with a Midas touch? God blesses everything they do. I hate them. Cain faced the worst punishment any human could ever suffer. He himself says, it is more than I can bear. Cain faces isolation not only from community, but from God himself. And this, my friends, is the self-inflicting punishment for all of us who choose to live by sin. We choose isolation. Cain was unsatisfied with the place he occupied in life. We cannot sustain ourselves living in this way. Sin isolates us. We are all learning more about perseverance these days, to run the race with perseverance. And I think a lot of us maybe still think this, or at least previously thought this, that to run the race with perseverance meant we just go as hard as we possibly can for as long as we possibly can. That we are at the church just as much as we are at home. Uh, We are doing the good work. Uh, We are burning out, really. But I think what it really means is that we have to find ways to run sustainably right to the end. If how you're living right now, today, cannot be sustained for the next 10 to 50 years, 
then it's time for some examination and reflection. And yes, I understand there are seasons when things amp up for us. But don't get caught up in, in what I call the mountain trap. People say, well, don't worry. As soon as this is done, life will slow down. You know, okay, as soon as uh, we just got to get past Thanksgiving. You know, things are getting crazy and it's, it's getting busy. But as soon as Thanksgiving's over, hey, we're going to be back on track with just a slower pace or living sustainably. And then you only find that at the other end of that, there's another mountaintop to climb right behind it. And on and on and on and on. Don't get caught in that. Abel is the standard to live by. He represents that which we should strive for. Cain sees it and kills it. Noah represents a standard to live by, but nobody really cared and they died in their sins. Or King David was a standard to live by and Saul saw it as a threat and he tried to kill him. On and on we go through the entire Old Testament of stories like this. And then 4,000 years later, after Adam, Jesus shows up. He shows the way of what true life looks like. He sets the standard. He tells people to not only stop killing people with your bare hands, but stop killing people with your heart. In Matthew 5, 21, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to count to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Because of what Jesus says here, we cannot take the story of Cain and Abel simply as an example to not murder someone. If the creation story is teaching us how to live, the natural flow of life, the work week, the rest, the rhythm, then Genesis 4 is the start of how not to live. The jealousy, the envy, the anger, the murder. Jesus shows us the better way. He says, don't bother getting all worked up about people who disagree with you or believe differently than you. Get on with your life and serve God. And what did we do to Jesus? The ultimate and pure Abel. We killed him. Yet in the end, Jesus, the ultimate authority and example of how God intends for his creation to function in the created order, came back to life and he says, I forgive you. Let's get on with it. I have a better way to show you. And it wasn't part of the, of the passage that, uh, that was given to me today, but I'm going to say it anyway. After Cain kills Abel, this is what God had to say in Genesis 4, 9 to 10. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said this famous line that we, we use. He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. This is a terrible exchange for Cain. However, there is good news in this passage for us. Allow me to read a few other passages from the New Testament to give us a bit of clarity on that. In Hebrews 11:4, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more accept acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, 
he still speaks. And in 1 John 3.12, it says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And lastly, Hebrews 12.24, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. God hears the injustice of the innocent shed blood. God is not distant, checking his watch and wondering when it's time for him to step in. God acts today. One way he does that is through his people. We have to stop asking the question of of when's God going to show up and and when is God just going to come down and and fix these problems for us while we're here uh, for these people. We we need to step up. We live out Genesis 1 and the gospel by speaking out against the evil in our world, by helping those who are suffering, by bringing the good news of Jesus Christ right into our community. God heard the voice of Abel's blood crying out. He also hears the innocent blood of Jesus crying out. God's justice is for us today. Therefore, we are secure in God's love and we can live like Abel, having faith in Genesis 3.15 and living into Genesis 1. So let's end with a few thoughts from the Gospel Project. This was taken from, from the Gospel Project. I thought this was good. It says, Because sin is an affront to God and brings great harm to us and others, we are to fight against sin in our lives and stand against sin in our culture, all while declaring and resting in the forgiveness found in Christ Jesus. So we have the head and the heart and the hands. The head, the first step in a proper understanding of the gospel is a proper understanding of sin. Sin isn't something that just happens to us. It is something deep within us. We not only suffer from the sins of others, but we also commit sins ourselves. Transgression, wickedness, and death spread from generation to generation. We must fight against sin in our lives and in our world but even our best efforts will fall short. Our only hope, considering such depravity of heart, is a Savior who can do such a miraculous work in the heart that we can love God again. Through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus took upon himself the cost of sin and gives to his people, those who believe in his name, his perfect righteousness. So the question for us to consider, how does a proper understanding of sin prepare us for a proper understanding of of the gospel. And next, the heart. Feeling the weight of sin is never fun. It is embarrassing and humiliating, but until we feel our desperation, we will never reach for the Savior. God's revelation of how sin spread from generation to generation keeps us humble before him. We should not look at Cain and his line and conclude we are simply better than them. Rather, we should look upon them as a warning and evaluate our hearts to root out any sins within, bringing them into the light of Jesus so we might have abundant life instead of death. So the question there is, what does the gospel say to us when we feel the weight of our sins upon us? And finally, hands. Whenever the Bible exposes us to the depravity of the human heart, God means to drive us to himself. A deep exploration of the doctrine of sin reveals our utter need for a Savior. 
It is wise, therefore, never to leave a passage about sin without coming to Christ in repentance and requesting forgiveness. Seeing our sin isn't easy, but God has grace for all sinners. Our best path forward after such a study is to trust Jesus, our sympathetic high priest, and to come to him for mercy and grace. So the question here, what sins do you need to confess and repent of today? Cain believed God exists. It's obvious. He talks with them. God in Genesis 3.15 gave a clue about the future. Abel had faith in that future. Cain did not, and both of them lived very differently. This will also affect how we live today. Do you believe in Genesis 3.15? It should reflect in how you interact with the world today. Abel lived out the gospel that was to come. We now live out the gospel that is, I want to be careful how I say this, but is nearly complete. Knowing that one day it's all going to be finished. You know, we're living in a different time, obviously, than Cain and Abel. We know the story, how it ends through the scriptures. And yet there's an ending to still come. This should shape how we live and how we act today. Let's pray. Lord, it's never, it's never fun or easy to talk about sin. It's all around us and it's in us. And Lord, I'm so grateful for the work of Christ on the cross and what that means for us, uh, for what that means for the world and for what that means for sinners. And Lord, we continue to see just evil all around and stress and just anxiety and frustration and anger and depression and all these things are, are swirling around in many of us and, and we're struggling through things. Lord, may you rescue us and may we rest in you. May we examine our lives. May we first start looking at our own hearts and minds, how we think, what we say, how we act, before we go around looking for the enemy around us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that even as we struggle through sin, we know that you've rescued us, that we can call in your name and have a relationship with you, trust in you and walk with you. So Lord, I just pray uh, for whoever comes across uh, this message today, that that would be loud and clear. Uh, if people don't know who you are, that they would come to know you and have that abundant life. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen.